friends, and welcome to Beauty The Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Today we sit down with Terry. Terry is a woman with a story about surviving childhood abuse from the people who adopted her. It's really clear as Terry lays out her story how formative that experience was for her, is for her. The thing about Terry, though, is that she's done what many survivors do and she's galvanized herself with that experience. She's used it to create these characteristics that actually lend themselves to tremendous strength for who she is in the world. Terry is tough and tender. Terry is possibly one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. We do more laughing, really, than anything in this interview. And Terry is unapologetic. She's unapologetic about the space she takes up in the world, about the way she takes up that space. She's unapologetic about her opinion, about who she's going to be, about who she is. Terry is exceptional, and I am so excited that you get to hear some of the wisdom that she's garnered from her own experience. So let's drop in with the brave and beautiful Terry. Um, this is my friend Terry, and uh, interestingly, Terry and I uh, have had one meal together, and that's the extent of our uh, relationship. Other yes. than that, we have a lot of social media stalking. So <laughs> I was social media stalking you for a bit. And then um, I launched the project, and you started to like and comment and share. And so I had a feeling that you were digging it. I was digging it. That's so good. I love when people dig it. So um, in true, like, really geeky fashion, this is, like, my new thing. If I feel prompted to reach out to somebody to know them better, I just do that. So I love I'm, that. I'm, well, yeah. A little weird the first time. Uh, like, you know what? Because you did that, I have done that since oh. with a few people, and I love it. You have? Yeah. And I'm a real extrovert, but I just was like, I've never thought, oh, hey, I'm just going to reach out and go, hey, you know what? I like I was, your, yeah. I like what you're th- talking about. I'd like yeah. to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> Let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting because in the virtual world, uh, for all the things that I think are detriment about the world in which we. Mm-hmm to exist now that creates this possibility for connections right. with people we would have never encountered before right. although it's weird that we never encountered each other before yeah. in this community yeah. but we'll get to that uh so welcome and thank you absolutely and um we'll get started the way that we always get started so my opening question is tell me about the time that you first realized that your body was different from other bodies um i grew up i played sports i was thin i was in great shape Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I realized it was different, but I realized, I don't think it was till, until I was in high school and I had like my first serious boyfriend and I grew up with this really terrible, abusive, awful family. And I remember we referred to them as the devil and the puppet, her being the devil, him being the puppet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember the puppet saying to me about this boyfriend I had, you better sleep with him if you want to keep him. And, you know, I knew what my friend's parents were saying to them. And I just thought, oh, my God, is this, like... And I think that's when I first went, oh, this is not... And, you know, I was 
living in this small town, 800 people in Northwest Iowa, mm -hmm. struggling with my sexuality, knowing no one who is gay, mm -hmm. you know, other than, you know, people you see on TV that were ridiculous, mm -hmm. and thinking, oh, God, I, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And just really, like, struggling with that whole... Um, I feel like I feel like a part of me, like when I started to gain weight, I didn't get that upset about it mm -hmm. because it was kind of a protection. Like I don't want to be with men, I don't want to be with women because I don't want to admit that I don't, you know. And so it was this like it was everything that I wasn't supposed to be growing up. Yeah, I was supposed to be this thin, good at sports, good at school, good at everything, yeah. because that was the image that this family was portraying that we were. Mm -hmm. And for me to get fat and get tattoos and do whatever I wanted to do. It was just so throwing it in their face. When was, so, so high school was thin and athletic. Yeah. Okay. And then there was the boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and so your experience of body autonomy or my body is different was completely wrapped up with your sexuality. Yeah. Okay. That's the first, that is really, uh, interesting. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense to me, actually. I wonder how much, if we had more awareness, uh, and, you know, um, hindsight always gives us awareness, right. how many more people would say that there was this intersection of that feeling of, like, oh, my body... Because um, one of the things I talk about often is that there's this shift when we're little that our bodies are instrumental, and then puberty turns them into something that's supposed to be ornamental. Right. And so you're talking about that, about going oh, my body was here to do this, and now it feels like something, like they want something else from right. it. Something that I'm not even right. sure I want to give anybody. <clears throat> well, and I really think that I was so... I mean, I know I was strong as a kid. I was a catcher. I played softball. I was yeah. good. I, you know, I ran. I rode my bike. I was a swimmer. I did all those things, a lot of it to stay out of my house. Right. But I think that I was so... You know, I grew up in such an abusive household, and a lot of physical and emotional abuse. And I think I was just so separated from my body mm. because you know, the, this always sounds awful when I say it and I don't mean it as a recovering victim. I like to say I could take a hit, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's the crap they say that sticks with you. So I think you separate so much when you grow up like that. Like you just, it's like, okay, well this is just the shell that's pissing them off. Mm. So you know, take the hit because yeah. it's not as bad as what the shit they say about you that gets in your head. Yeah. So I think I was just so separated from, you know, mm -hmm. that this is me, this is part of who I am and this is me and right. Yeah. So disembodiment became like yeah. a survival tactic. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so you said, well, then when I got fat and got and uh, got tattoos, well, that was like thrown in their face, yeah. right? So when did the fat and tattoos happen? Um, I started gaining weight in like my early twenties. Um, I was probably like twenty five, and then I, you know, got into this long term relationship, and then you get like happy fat, you know, when yes. you first meet, and then happy fat yeah. is the best. I know it is, but at the same time, you're like, oh my god, like <laughs> yes. this is the weirdest thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it was just. Yeah, and I, you know, I was a nurse. I, I kind of like the, the thing that I loved about when I first read about the Beautiful Project was your article about um, your yoga and mm. the woman saying, "Oh, you're so great yeah. for a fat girl." Yeah. And you know, I did that as a nurse. Like, I'd go in and I was an ICU nurse, and I'd go in and we'd code a patient, and somebody'd go, "Oh my God, you can move really fast." I'm like, "Oh, you mean for a fat girl?" Right. Right, <laughs> because, right. Yeah, yeah. Like they never say it. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just, there's no period at the end right. of the sentence. It's, right. It's the, dot, it's the ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And you're like, you can finish the yeah. sentence. Yeah. It's okay. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess, like, you know, I've struggled with my weight. I've considered, like, doing surgery. I've cons- And I just, you know, and I think I said this to you before, I like food. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like, I just want to eat Cheetos all day. It's that I have like this relationship with food because that's how my grandmothers like I was with my grandmothers they taught me to cook my biological mother was a cook so that feeling of food is nurturing it is and I love to cook and I love to be in the kitchen and you know what I don't want to eat kale I want to eat lasagna because (laughs) lasagna tastes a whole lot better than kale and it buries the feelings a little better than kale yeah yeah but I do, I just like, I just, I love the whole experience. I love having people to my house to eat. I There's something about that. And I didn't want to get to a point where I was just miserable mm-hmm. because that's such a big part of our life. Right. So yeah. for you, you looked at it, like the price of admission on this is not worth the ride. Right. Like to right. get a thin body. Right. It's not worth giving It's up not going to make things. me any happier. It's not going... Will I be healthier? Possibly. Maybe, but maybe there's not. a whole lot of crap that goes along with that surgery. Right. You know, I I don't know. Like, I think... You know, I know how to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. But at, on my list of things that are important in my life, it's not really close to the top. Like... How did you get there? Because that's a countercultural <sighs> thing to be able to say. I love it. I'm um, down. But... I think... So four years ago, I had a son. We had a son, my wife and I. Um, he is the most perfect child that's ever been born. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago, he was diagnosed with autism. Um, kind of changed my entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, I never expected to be a special needs mom. He is amazing. And two years ago, I was a hot freaking mess. Um, and then I kind of went, you know what? This kid is amazing. Like he is sweet and kind and people love him. Like people take to him in mm-hmm. this weird, I remember when he was born, a nurse came in and said to me, he's going to change the world. And I was just like, okay, that's kind of weird. Maybe I'm just stoned, but that's kind of <laughs> weird. But I kind of believe it. And I think like my list of things that I was worried about, like losing weight and I, it's just, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most important thing in my day. So it was a much higher priority before yeah. Leo. Yeah. Okay. And and while it still is because I want to be here a long time and I want to be healthy and be able to do things with him, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give up time with him to spend three hours at the gym. And I'm not going to eat kale if he tells me he wants to eat pizza. You know, I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm yeah, not. Get it. And my kid eats a healthy diet and probably eats healthier than anybody in the house. But, you know, I'm just enjoying this time. And it's just it's just not worth worrying about. Mm-hmm. So that took some time for you to get there. So you were 25, and you, you've said like seven things that I want to talk about. Like, <laughs> so I tried to write really fast. So if none of this is like... I, have the, I, I knew this when I asked you to interview. I was like, we are not going to tell a linear story. We are oh, going to no. tell a circular, yeah. like multiple connected circles. Yep. So <laughs> folks, stay with us yeah. because this is about to get a little circular. We'll but try to have a surprise ending. <laughs> be very excited. Okay. <laughs> I actually don't know if it will, but I have a <laughs> almost complete confidence that it will. Um, so I do want to talk about uh, – so we'll go here first. We're gonna, I want to talk about – you referenced uh, – it's a little bit better keeping the feelings down. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about the trauma connection because there's okay. 
Oh yeah, clearly one. Yeah. And then and then I want us to go back to the twenty five and the, so but let's start with that just okay. because you mentioned it and you were, you said it in reference to well the lasagna is a little yeah. bit better at keeping the feelings <laughs> yeah. down. Right? Oh, I'm definitely an emotional eater. Um, I grew up with a grandmother who. You know, if you're sad, have a cookie. If you're happy, have a cookie. If you're, you know, and I catch myself doing that with Leo, and I try really hard, like, not to do that, but I do catch myself doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, total emotional eater. Um, always have been. Are you, I do you don't... think you're present to the, so I've been having this, emotional eating comes up in about, I don't know, 80% of the yeah. interviews that I do, and I have been leaning pretty heavily into um, intuitive eating, uh, which is a whole other podcast, but... In intuitive eating, they'll they would say to you that your body knows what it needs, mm-hmm. and um, the, and it, it is not the same thing as the hunger and fullness diet, right? Because that's also a diet, right? FYI, everybody. Yeah, in and intuitive hot eating, hot dogs and water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, in intuitive eating, though, they do talk about emotional eating and how there's a place for it. That food biochemically creates an experience in mm-hmm. us because we're programmed for it to be that way, right? And we've demonized emotional eating as a um, as some sort of like a diagnosis, right? Right, And so what happens as a result then, anytime we have something that's demonized or diagnosable that way, then we also feel shame for engaging in the behavior. And then the shame, in my experience, dissociates me from the experience of actually just paying attention to the emotion and being conscious of the fact that I'm right. going to have ice cream in response to right. that. And the more, now this is a, man, I'm trying to undo like, three decades of behavior, so I do not get it twisted. I'm not telling you I do this well every time, but I know that the times where I'm present to the experience, because mm-hmm. that's really what I'm craving. I'm craving presence to the right. experience and connectedness, and so instead of shaming myself over it, I'll be like, it's a great night, and I really want to enjoy my family, so we're going we're gonna to go to Whitey's, right. and not right. go, I shouldn't have this shake as I'm eating the shake. Right. Fuck me, I shouldn't have it. I, right? I totally agree. And I have tried really hard to change that language because I don't want my kid yeah. to grow up with that language. Um, I so grew up in this terrible household. I was actually adopted by my aunt and uncle. Okay. So at 15, I found my biological mother mm-hmm. um, and met her and her family. She is one of five, there are six girls total. Um, and I looked like them, I sounded like them, I built like them, like, and I, you know, I'd never had that in my life. I'd never felt like I belonged. Because even though I was related to these people, you know, they were constantly telling me what a horrible shame it was that I was adopted and that, you know, I was this awful person. And, you know, so I never felt like I belonged anywhere until I met this family and went, oh, okay, that's where the big mouth and (laughs) the whole thing comes from. Like... You know, I was this huge reader. Nobody in my family read. Like, I'm like, where does this come from? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, like, having these women, my mom and her sisters, who all, like, if you met them, you would never know they were related. They look alike. But they're all so different and also individually, like, a hot mess and confident. Like, Mm -hmm. That it just, I went, I never met women like this. Mm. You know, I wasn't meeting these women in my hometown. I wasn't meeting, they weren't in my family. Mm -hmm. And so I just went, oh, okay, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. Like, When did that happen for you? I was 15 when I reconnected with my biological mother. I didn't actually meet her in person until I was 18. Okay. Um, But 
she's she passed away 11 years ago but we had I mean we had a relationship up almost as long as we didn't um so yeah that I I think in a way that kind of saved my life it gave me that uh I don't have any contact with the family I grew up with and I think I had you know I created this other family Mm -hmm. um and I felt safe you know with my wife and my son too and this family of choice this friend these friends we have and I didn't feel like I needed that anymore Mm -hmm. like you know I think a lot of people get into that oh well it's family well just because it's family doesn't mean that it's good just because you're related by blood doesn't mean you have to put up with that shit you know yeah Yeah. no we do get I think we get that a little um I think that comes from our sort of tribal yeah instinct to to lean that direction and I'm totally with you. What yeah. makes a tribe has zero to do oh, with my yeah. blood relation. The people that I, that Chris and I have brought into our village and the people we know, like, these people love me for me more than anybody did growing up. Like, these are the people. These are my people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, I, I don't know if it's growing up in a small town. Like, I grew up with 800 people. I went to high school with 23 people. I know everyone. I can name them in alphabetical order to this day. <laughs> We knew each... I mean, we went from kindergarten through 12th grade together. We were like siblings. You know, we still keep in touch. We've been out of high school for 25 years. And so everybody knows everybody's business. Um, So over this last year, it's been the parents that I grew up with have gotten in some legal trouble. Uh, And... This is the aunt and uncle. Yeah. And um, one of them's facing some prison time. Um... I'm not taking any glee in it because it's a really crappy situation. Um, he was the treasurer for our the church I grew up in. Mm. He embezzled over 14 years, wow. um, half a million dollars. Um, but it's been interesting to me because now a lot of people who for years have said to me, um, you know, just make up with them, it's family, are now saying to me, well, we know they were hitting you. We know, And I'm like, mm. and I get it was a different time. You know, it was the 80s, 70s, and 80s, and I get that, and, you know, it's a small town, people don't, they get in everybody's business, but they don't act like they're in everybody's business kind of thing, and I just think, why, why would you tell me now? Yeah, Like, what what would that have changed, you know, and why didn't you say something 25 years ago? That's, you know, I was thinking I would prefer not to know the video. Yeah, then because then I just think yeah. you're a shitty person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before I just thought yeah. you were oblivious. Yeah. Now you're. Now I now think you're an, an ass. ass. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so just to kind of, I want to close out the emotional eating piece. So you, in some way, do you think you've just given yourself permission that this is, this is part of how you've, this is part of how you've survived the because trauma has real right. significant after effects right um it, is it something that i should probably be talking to my therapist about probably mm-hmm. but is it something that's at the top of my list no nope. there's a ton of other shit that i have to deal with first so, don't worry she'll have a job for the next 20 years right. <laughs> <laughs> um i just like there's so many things that you're taught as a kid that you hear as a kid that you still hear in your head, I think, yeah. with your own kids, yeah. that I don't want to come out of my mouth with my kid. Yes. So Got my it. kid eats a primarily vegetarian diet by his choice. Mm-hmm. Like, the kid will eat any fruit and vegetable you put. I have to hide tomatoes from him. Mm. Like, so he's not eating crap. Right. Does he eat goldfish crackers? Yeah, he eats them by his mm-hmm. weight full. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, so does every other kid on the planet. Yeah. I don't want him, when one night a week he wants ice cream, for him to think that's bad, to think mm-hmm. that's like, because you know what? I don't like ice cream, but 
99% of the people in this country love ice cream. Yeah. So it's an enjoyable experience for him. Great. Do it. If you're eating ice cream for breakfast, it's a different story. But I don't want this to be this, you know, I just want him to enjoy food the way I enjoy food. Mm -hmm. Like when I am teaching him to cook and having him in the kitchen, I want him to grow up and think about food the way I think about my mom with food, about my grandma with food. Which is about connectedness right. and relationship. Right. It sounds like that's the place. So that was all tied up together. Yeah. You know, feeling like, first of all, you said that you felt like you fit with them. Yep. So it's the only place where you feel like you fit. Yeah. Uh, you experience an emotional connection that was clearly deprived yeah. from you in yeah. your family of origin or the people who raised you. Yeah. Um, and then, and then of course, and then you also have this substance that biochemically breaks down and makes it makes emotional connections right. with, with neurotransmitters. Yeah. So of course you're like, this is something to crave. Right. And actually, um, if different genetic factors were at play. Because, you know, we're always really quick to go, oh, well, she's thin, just, it's genetics. Yeah, my mom was really thin. My biological mom was really thin. But three of her sisters aren't. Right. You know? Right. And that's, okay. Right. right. And so we, <laughs> we're so quick culturally to just f find that there's um, truth and space for that explanation of a thin body. Right. But we are never, ever okay with that explanation for a fat body. And I never understood this. I have a friend who's um, very thin and has had, like, GI issues over the years, and I just made some comment one day about her being thin, and she was like, you know, we're very close, and she was very like, I, you know, I just want you to know that hurt my feelings, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, I had no intention, yeah. and she's like, I don't think that people think, like, people who are really thin, they just yeah. assume, oh, we're so happy to be really thin, yep. and she's like, I'm underweight, and I need, you know, my doctor tells me to gain weight, and I'm like, I never would have imagined, like... I had a similar yeah. awakening story, so I sat down with somebody, somebody who asked me to have lunch very early on. I actually shared this somewhere. It might be on the blog. I don't know. I've, there's been a lot of content in the last <laughs> few months. It's out there yeah. somewhere, the story is. But this woman asked me to go to lunch with her, and I know her in other contexts, and she's um, in a very tiny body. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, prior to this conversation, I would have assumed that all of the things I attached to a thin female ideal, yep. that she would have all those things available to her, like... Complete contentedness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so this shows my own bias. Um, we have this conversation, <laughs> and she tells me this, well, s something similar. Um, she set it up with talking about, you know, do you know what it's like to, like, have to buy little kids' clothes? Because mm -hmm. it's I'm a grown woman, you know? Yeah. Um, so she talked about those experiences and how uh, alienating those were for her. And then she told me this story about her mom taking her shopping after she'd had her baby. And... Um, She's like, and my mom was a chronic dieter. I mean, mm -hmm. that's her whole life's been about being thinner. And so her mom took her to Target after she had a baby, and she was super excited. It was her first trip out of the house. So she was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to buy? Right. She's like, so mom takes me to the lingerie section, and I'm thinking we're going to get some new comfy jammies or a nursing right. bra. And she's like, she took me to the girdles. Oh, God. And she bought me one and said, if you wear this every day, your stomach will go back to normal. So this, this woman, t I still get chills when I tell this story. So we're sitting, we're eating lunch together. She's telling me this. And I'm like, simultaneously, I'm completely plugged in. And I'm like, I'm an asshole. Because I have written a million stories about her that have nothing to do with her own suffering. So then she tells me, she went. she's like, Sarah, I went home. I remember cutting the tag off that girdle, putting it on. She was like two weeks postpartum. She's like, I remember putting it on. I was crying. And all I can recall is that it hurt my insides. And I was like stop it yeah 
So that was a long story to illustrate the point that, um, and I, I try to be uh, mindful that we're not always talking here about the fat body. Right. You know, I, I've been trying to expand that conversation. The place where I struggle sometimes is to expand it to a thin body. Right. Because I feel like the cultural ideal is that. So right. it's difficult for me to see how there is, because um, that, mar- that body doesn't feel marginalized to me. However, I can also see how it, make, it might make you feel like you don't fit. Right. You know, so I suppose that. Yeah, I had a... I'm going to try to tell this story without revealing who the story is okay. about. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so I kind of had this experience. I had this same conversation with somebody about um, some people I knew that, you know, worked out all the time and they, mm-hmm. you know, they'd all eat the same thing and they'd all do the same thing. And I'm like, and I said to Chris, I'm like, no matter how much I work out, no matter how well I eat, I'm, I'm not going to be that small. Like at 140 pounds, I'm still like a size 12 because mm-hmm. I have an ass and hips and boobs. Like mm-hmm. I just do. And Chris is like, but you know what? You're happy and mm-hmm. you're not trying to be like somebody else. You're not bowing to this. Oh, well, she's eating a salad with salmon. So I have to eat a salad. You're like, that's gross. I'm not eating a salad with salmon. <laughs> Those two things should not be together. <laughs> and she's like, you have that confidence that you just mm-hmm. don't. And, and I was like, oh. That's what it is. Like, yeah. I don't want, you know, I don't want to do it just because everybody else is doing yeah. it. I don't, I don't feel that, I don't know. I just don't feel that, that societal pressure. Like people say things that I don't care. Honestly, the world's on fire. <laughs> Me being fat is like, it, it's true. Like, I mean, there are babies in cages and some guy on the streets worried about me being fat. Hey, fuck you, dude. I don't care. Like. I'm a good person and I go to bed at night and I sleep well because I know I love the people around me and I know the people around me love me and I know I've done something good with my day. And Mm -hmm. honestly, that's kind of the point where I'm at. And it took me a long time to get there. And I have an amazing therapist and I have, you know, an amazing village. So I didn't get there by myself, but Mm -hmm. it's taken me, you know, and trust me, there are days that I'm like right back in that sewer going, oh, I'm the worst person ever. And then you turn the news. Yeah. You know? Or let it, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about um, this notion that body, I think sometimes body acceptance gets translated into I love my body all yeah. the time, and that's not what oh, this God, is. Oh, God, no. Absolutely no. not. And um, I was talking about how the days that aren't that way, that sometimes all you have to do is just let them pass. Yeah. Like, here's what I used to do, though. I'd have them, and I would <clears throat> then, like, recommit to a lifestyle change. Right. Right. And I would hit, you know, some sort of insane, like, yeah. running plan. Yeah. And I'd injure my knees because I'm far too fat to run. Right. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. You know? Um, but that's the stuff I don't do anymore. Yeah. I just go, okay, so it's a day, um, and I don't need to police my body right. anymore. Right. Uh, so speaking of policing bodies, so you, can we back up? Um, I do feel like if there is something to capture here, I want to. I'm not even sure that there is. But you talked about starting to gain weight at 25. Was there a trigger? Was there... Um, Honestly, I think... I mean, in my early 20s, I was drinking a lot. I was Mm -hmm. doing a lot of drugs. I was just... You know, it was a hot mess. You know, I'd grown up in this horrible family. I had no real idea of what I wanted to do with my life. I had this terrible self-esteem because, you know, I'd been told I was shit my entire life. So... I just was kind of a hot mess. I honestly didn't think I'd live to be 25. Like, it kind mm-hmm. of surprised me when I turned 25. Mm-hmm. Um, 40 really surprised me because I really didn't expect that at all. <laughs> what the hell do I do like, the next what day? What the hell? 
Um, so I just, like, I think that, you know, I was going to bars and I'd get drunk and then I'd come home and I'd eat something, you know, and I just kind of mm-hmm. started. And honestly, you know, some people's bodies are really good at running. Mine's really good at keeping weight. <laughs> like, <laughs> so skilled. I like, honestly, like if that were a thing, like, <laughs> she cannot lose weight. That's me. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, it's, un, you know, I, and I can work out and work out and work out and I just don't lose it. Like. You know, some people do. I might lose 20 pounds, and then I just stop for... Me too. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I, I'm not... I used to have this number in my head, and I don't even have that anymore. I'm just like, I just want to be comfortable. I want to be able to do what I want to do. Um, and I have work to do, and I know that. Mm-hmm. And I, But I'm not going to beat myself up about it, mm-hmm. because I've got other shit to do. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. honestly... Did you ever go through periods of like uh, restrictive eating or over exercise? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, high school, I don't think I ate anything my entire senior year of high school except for maybe ramen noodles. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, because I think somebody at one point said, I think my grandmother said something about I had gained some weight. And so. Was this the grandma who cooked with you? Uh, yeah, growing up. But, you know, she's very, you know, she's 85. She's in that yeah. era of, oh, <laughs> yeah. you got a little. Yeah. yeah, and I probably weighed 130 pounds at the time. Oh, wow. Um, so I thought I le- needed to lose 40 pounds. Um, Jesus. Now, you know me, obviously. Um, I'm not tall, but 110 pounds on my frame, I looked like I just came out of a concentration camp. Oh, like, sure. I looked like a cancer patient. It was awful. And you got and, that thin? Oh, yeah. Well, because I didn't eat anything. Yeah. And then, you know, I felt like crap. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything. I had no right. energy. Right. <laughs> I'm like, this is stupid. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think it, I don't know. I just, I don't know that I, I, I can look at my life and go, this is when it clicked. Like, this is when I just did not give two shits anymore. And, but, yeah, in the last five years? Not so much. I don't care. Tell me about coming out. Um, came out when I was 23 to friends and family. I was out in college before that. Um, Where'd you go to school? Uh, you and I. Okay. Um, it wasn't, they, the devil and the puppets response was, oh, we think you're just confused because you had a boyfriend and you really liked him. Hmm. Well, I really liked him because he got me out of your house (laughs) and he had a nice car and he bought me beer. I Um, haven't seen how much I really like my girlfriend. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't living in my hometown anymore, so it wasn't like a big deal. Um, I had been working in radio. My first career was in radio as a radio announcer. And so I'd become like this kind of local celebrity in my hometown. So like, I think people took it better. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but I wasn't living there, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, Were you living here? Uh, I, we moved here. I was 27 when we moved here. Okay. Yeah. So I was living in um, Minnesota at the time. And okay. Yeah, it wasn't... I mean, it wasn't, I didn't, I don't have some great coming out story. That's okay. Yeah. One. My wife does, if you ever want to interview her, though. Is that a good one? <laughs> it is a good yeah. one. <laughs> How do you, I've been, I've been, so again, I try to pay attention to intersectionality of these things, right? Mm-hmm. About our bodies and belonging. And um, I've just started to write some things around, you know, having a, lesbian identity and what that means and all these things about how it's impacted my sense of belonging and my body and have you had experience over your lifetime is there an intersection there that you that you want to talk you know it's interesting like I think that you say that I think because I think of like hanging out with my straight friends 
and hanging out with my lesbian friends. Mm-hmm. And you know hanging out with lesbians. Lesbians are naked all the time. All like the time. they have no problem getting naked in front of people. They no barely know. No, no. Close you're like, okay. <laughs> straight women don't do that. No. Like and I have straight friends that, you know, I'm very, very close to, but I could, would never think of you know, they would never do that. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is that within the lesbian community, there's kind of, there certainly aren't the like societal thin Mm -hmm. things that happen in the heterosexual community or in society at large, like within the lesbian community. I think that, you know, people are so accepting of any and all body type, Mm -hmm. which is great, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, so that I think was really freeing for me. Like, yeah. I'm not one to get naked in front of everybody, but <laughs> even in the lesbian yeah. safety. Yeah, I'm still like, God, you guys put some clothes on. <laughs> but you know, there's some of them. Yeah, take <laughs> a shirt off. Boobs out. Yeah, I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, but yeah, I think that that was really like, I never had experienced that. So. So this idea that, you know, my, my grandmother still, you know, like whispers, like she's got woman's problems, you know I mean? So that's how I grew up. So then to have this like, Hey, bodies are great. Let's everybody get naked. Yeah. You know, I, I just like was like amazed by it. I feel like maybe that transition though, for you to come from like the whispered shame space yeah. to, I, I don't, you feel to me like a human being for whom that would not require a ton of invitation to move to a place of like. Oh, we're not going to do it that way. Right. Like, we're not going to be shiny right. and whispery and weird. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and it feels like it'd be a pretty easy transition for you to yeah. be like, no, we're going to, like, we're just going to own this. And right. You guys There's, can all take your shirts off. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm comfortable, but um, I don't care if you so. do. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's it, the nicest thing my wife has ever said to me. And over 20 years, this is the one thing that I think is the nicest thing she's ever said to me. And she said, the thing that she admires most about me is that I grew up in this shit storm and mm-hmm. I just went I'm not doing it this way I'm going to love and I'm going to be loved I'm going to you know accept people and I'm going to let people in the right people yeah. you know and I am usually a pretty good judge of the right people like my circle is small and tight but you know I know a lot of people but I've got those core people that that's my family mm-hmm. and you know, I created that and I'm really proud of that because I didn't have that. And so when I got pregnant with Leo, I thought, oh my God, my mom's gone. He doesn't have, you know, he'll have no family on my side. My grandmother's 85 with Alzheimer's, you know, my aunties are across the country. Like he's going to have nobody. And I just went, oh my God, he's got this amazing village. And, and then when he got his diagnosis, like it was just like these people, I I mean, they're my people. Mm -hmm. And so that for me has been the most healing thing in my life is just creating that family that I always wanted. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of that has come through, you know, almost 20 years with Chris. A lot of that has come through work with my therapist and just me just not, I'm not going to deal with the bullshit. Like sometimes have time. <laughs> when, when I tell like the survival side of my story, people will ask me a question. I'm curious whether or not you can answer it because I always come up a little short. They're always like, well, where did that come from? That desire to make your life into something different than what you knew. And I'm always like, I don't fucking know. It just was always there. Yeah. It, because I couldn't imagine living that, that way. way the rest of my life. Yeah. It was about and, freeing yeah. you. Really. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was totally a selfish move. It was, I don't want to live this way. Yeah. I don't want to be this person. 
Um, you know, Chris would say, we'd go to my hometown and she'd say, your entire mood changes. You are not yourself. And I'm so guarded and it's, you know, it's so toxic and it's so like, I just, I just knew I couldn't live that way. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't have made it past 25 if I had to live that way. You know, if I would have had to marry some guy from my hometown and, you know, had kids and stayed there and, you know, and it's not a bad place. It's just the shit that went along with it. And I can't. I'm trying to... I'm trying to picture that, like you whacked out alternate reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Sometimes when we talk about uh, the painful struggle of finding a fit, you know, and how, um, but in order to find the fit, we have to find the not fit. Yeah. You know. Yep. And that's painful. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it was an interesting process for me with my kids as they um, I was terrible about allowing them to not fit in grade school because I had so much of my own anxiety right. around it. Sorry, guys, by the way. Um, <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be okay. I gave you my I mean, therapist I've, number. I, well, <laughs> I have a list. I've been in therapy my whole life. Don't worry. Um, so we... Uh, so anyway, I, I was really not great at that experience of letting them discover the not fit and then become... And then giving them the tools to be resilient. Right. Because the truth is we, we aren't going to fit everywhere. And that's totally okay mm-hmm. but it really is about finding the resilience to go well I'm not here but then where yeah you know and it sounds like you've found a where yeah um I, I really struggled with that again when Leo got his diagnosis because my biggest thing I mean you know with your kids I didn't want him to struggle yep um and I remember reading something from Glennon Doyle that said you know you have to let him struggle because yep. from the struggle, you know, you rise again from the struggle. And I'm, I'm just pretty like, sure that exact quote is yeah. what made me stop doing shit to my, trying to right. save my kids from things. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I hate this that I have to let him struggle, mm-hmm. but he's going to. But I'll be damned if he's going to be some little weak kid. Like, this kid's going to come equipped with the tools, yeah. you know, to just be this amazing kid and... I really feel sorry for the person who makes him struggle first because I may have to murder them, but it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about how being a mom changed you. You've kind of um, talked around it, but talk directly. It absolutely changed my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never loved or been loved like that. I mean, you know how it is with your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, my kid is the best kid on the planet, but I'm sure your kids are suitable. They're, runner, they're runners up. It's <laughs> yes. fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. He is, he's just amazing. And he is, you know, Leo is nonverbal at this point. He uses a device to talk. Um, and there's something about that. Like, I hate it most days because I just really want to hear him. But there's, you learn a lot. Like, you really learn. Like, I think all of us have learned to communicate with each other in a better way because we can't always talk. So we've just really gotten good at this knowing what each other needs, and it's been really kind of cool. It's been cool for our for Chris and I, for our relationship, and with our relationship with Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, just, I, I've just really learned a lot, like sitting back and watching people and seeing that body language sometimes mm. that I think you miss a lot because sure. when you've got people who talk, you don't always pay, pay attention, attention to that. And Yeah. Yeah. You told me a story when we had lunch. You talked about, um, well, you I think you referenced it earlier, too, about how you're not a person who likes to be touched. Yeah. But this boy. Yeah. He's like, he, uh, I can't, I want to eat him. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. Sometimes I'm just like, can I just eat your leg? <laughs> He's like, oh, God. 
Because he rolled his eyes at me. Oh, he totally rolls his eyes at me. Yeah, he yeah. rolled his he rolled his eyes the first time at six months. I was so proud. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> like great. that's genetic, buddy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I don't like to be touched because I grew up in an abusive household, so I don't like. Yeah. It scares me. I don't like like sitting here. I know you've got my back, but my back's to the window, and yeah, I'm not yeah. real happy about it. Yeah. Um, I don't like people touching my head. I got hit in the face a lot, so that just really like sets me off. Um, but this kid, he's like crawling all over me, and I'm just in, I love it. Mush. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah. I am a hot mess of mush. I love that. Yeah. I think, I think I've cried more in the last four years than I have in my entire life. <laughs> like, oh, sure. Oh, babies make you soft. Yeah. So soft. Ugh. There's so much. I, <laughs> so mine are teenagers, and I cannot tell you how many times a week I like walk up the stairs and I'm like, I fucking hate this, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, it's always pain, even when it's good. It's, yeah. it's like, like they break you open in the yeah. beginning, and they just keep breaking you open. Yep. And I don't mean I fucking hate this, guys, if yeah. you listen to this. I mean, I... <laughs> Love this. Yeah. But it is the process of being broken and remade and broken and remade and broken and remade. And sometimes I'm like, for fuck's sake, I just don't want to be remade again for a minute. Right. But you know, it's Tuesday, so I guess it's it's my turn. Yeah. Because it didn't happen yesterday. And I think growing up with no one like teaching you how to be a decent human being. Yeah. Like that's such a big deal to me. Like Mm -hmm. I just, if he grows up and he, you know, paint sidewalks for a living I don't care mm-hmm. as long as he's a decent human being yeah. like that's really all I care about yeah. and he is like he's amazing and he's kind and he's funny and he's the cutest thing that's ever lived and I just I just want him to be a decent kid and you know I feel like I've been given this I mean I feel like it's a gift like I can't like every day I wake up and I'm thinking what the hell did I do to deserve this mm. like is this some like okay, we really fucked up the beginning of your life here. <laughs> this baby. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Not only did we give you two sets of parents, but they both sucked. <laughs> so here is his baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh, by the way, he has autism. <laughs> oh, so right. Like, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. It had to feel like that. I, a little bit. Um I really felt sorry for myself at first. Sure. Because I knew nothing about autism. Right. Um, that is a whole nother community that, mm-hmm. you know, just opened up to us. Um, but, I, you know, we've learned a lot. We've, mm-hmm. I, some, I remember one of Leo's speech therapists said to me, he's got this device that he uses to talk, and he's just, like, he's a technology kid, and he just took off with it. She said, in all the years I've been doing this, I've never seen anybody use it like this so quickly. And she goes, and I have to give a lot of credit to you and Chris because, you know, you really bought into it. And I'm like, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And she said, you wouldn't believe how many parents, like, I send these things home with their kids and they never take them out of their bag. They never do anything because they think that's my job. Oh, and I'm like, sure. uh, okay. I was just so shocked that, yeah, you know. And Chris said, why are you shocked by that? You had shitty parents. Like, you know that parents don't always do that. And I'm like, I think it's just so foreign to me now. Yeah. Like, to think of parenting that way that I just went, oh, who does that? (laughs) Oh, yeah, my parents did. (laughs) They totally would have thrown the device away. Yeah, they would have been like, she doesn't talk? Good. (laughs) God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome that it changed you. Yeah, it's that way. Yeah, it's been amazing. So tell me um, one more thing, and then I will set you free to this beautiful afternoon. Um, tell me what you want women 
to know about, you can pick about bodies, about beauty, about belonging, about who they are in the world, about the space they can take up, about their voice. I think this is something you don't get until you're like in your 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling you might say the same thing. But when someone asks me, like, what the most attractive thing is mm-hmm. about other women or another person, mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing to me that is sexier than smart. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I have a sister who's 25 years younger than I am. And that's what I tell her. I'm like, you know what? A pretty face is great, mm-hmm. but a brain mm-hmm. sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And you can take that anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you, that to me is the biggest thing. And, and that's the thing that I have all nephews. I have one niece. But I see like the toys that are marketed towards girls. And, the, and I just think, why are we not, why are we telling girls to be pretty? Why are we telling girls to be thin? Mm-hmm. Tell girls to be smart. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I mean, there are because so Because you're many, more than your body. Right. You're more than your body. Right. You have more to offer the world than your beauty. Yeah. Like you get to be something other than that. Yeah. And that, that has been my answer always is, uh, I always say it, my ideal woman is um, smart, funny, and tall, because mm-hmm. I like a tree I can climb. <laughs> so Alice and Janney would be my ideal, if that gives you oh, a yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. my ideal. But smart, like that's what I want. I want to have somebody, I don't care if it's a friend, if it's a girlfriend, if it's a whatever, I want to have somebody I can sit and have a conversation with mm-hmm. that can yeah be ridiculous, but can also be about you know, what's happening in the world and, you know, things that have happened in the past, things like that. Like, those are the things I want yeah. to do. That's the, what's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And kind of going back to the, the food thing, I, so like I said, I love to have people over and just eat. And my friend Karen drew this little picture for me and it was a plate of pancakes. And she calls my little, my little gathering of people, peace through pancakes. Oh. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's how we're going to change the world. It's going to be a bunch of mothers sitting around the table talking about how we're going to fix this shit. That's how, so it, that's how it happens. And it happens over food. food. Yeah. 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 And I guarantee we're going to solve a lot more problems over lasagna than we will over a kale salad. Fuck all that because yeah. we're hungry. <laughs> right? We're busy changing the world. We're hungry. Yes. We need food. Yeah. For that we need carbs, damn it. Lots of them. So many yeah. carbs. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. Thank you so much for your time and for yeah. your story. You I love you. Of course, I, I would love be you here. too. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Terry. Please tell me that you laughed at least half as often as I did, because if you did, then your day is already better which is actually exactly how I feel every time I get to spend time with this woman. Like, my day is a little bit better. My perspective a little more honest. My hope a little more intact. She really has this way of cutting straight to the truth, but in a way that doesn't cut, that really heals. And I think that people who have that gift should be given a place to use it. I am eternally grateful that she chose to use it today for the sake of the beautiful project and for the sake of this audience. So if you think you'd like to hear more from women like Terry about bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a moment and leave a review 
so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about the beautiful project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength.